Welcome to this topical life. Real conversation, real exploration, real life stories. A discussion about life, cause life ain't a vacation. And now, here's your host, Tiffany Murphy. Okay, welcome to this topical life. Today we have the Miss Jenna Hayes, and I am—I can't even tell you how excited I'm—I am to have her here today. Um, I have a little bit of a girl crush on her. She is just <laughs> amaze balls, people. Okay, so um, let's talk about how we met because that was really super cool. Yeah. Um, we met. Okay, was that? or that conference was in yeah in January okay in January yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. it was just like for me you know the new year I'm not really a new year's resolution type girl but like I was like you know what I just kind of this conference kind of came up and I was just like oh I probably yeah I don't really want to go I was thinking about like a million reasons not to go but then with it being up the street and mm-hmm. you know yeah. There was no excuse, really. Yeah. It was just like, okay. It was, just, it was very convenient. It was like at my front door, basically. So I went, and then um, I met Jenna that night, that the first night. And then the next day, we um, I listened to her talk, and oh, my goodness. Like, I just felt like – I just felt like she just has this – she just is amazing. She's just amazing, and she's touching all of Westland um, and more, obviously. But, like, uh, she's a real treat to hear. Um, but one thing we did have an encounter with was, um, I was at the time at that conference, I was really struggling just Mm. in a dip, you know, just a dip where you're like, uh, I just don't, you know, what does God want with my life? What is this about? And, you know, am I just a mom or Mm. just feeling that mom thing, you know, and I'm just like, I'm ready to do something. What is that next thing? You know, just something. You know, and, um, I guess the, I, maybe I hadn't even really thought about it Mm -hmm. much more farther than that. Just Mm -hmm. like kind of in the tip of my brain, you know, but you had spoke and it got me thinking about a lot of things and I went on a run. And so this was the day after you had talked and, um, I was kind of praying as I ran and was like, just feeling kind of like, yeah. And I was just like, God, I just really don't feel like you're there. You know, I just don't really, I just not, where are you? Where are you? And then I got home and I looked at my phone and I had accidentally taken a picture (laughs) of a cross and I just knew immediately. Behind you, right? Yeah, it was behind me. Like I had no, I, I've never taken an accidental picture while I'm running. I don't even know how I got on camera. Like I listened to music. Maybe I was, yeah, I was listening to music. So I don't really know how that happened, but like it was, it wasn't just like a picture. It was just like perfectly placed I don't even know. Were you I, in front of the church, or where was that? It was. I had to. Re- I re-ran that route to find the cross because oh, yeah. there's a church that has just a normal cross on the top, mm-hmm. but then there's another cross on that church, kind of behind. So you think it was maybe that one? It was the behind one. Oh, interesting. I was like, okay. I had never noticed that cross before. Okay. So I had wrote on Facebook, you know, and I thought on Facebook, I'm like, you know, you don't share everything on Facebook, but I was just so elated about that experience you know I put it on Facebook and then Jenna was said something that made it even more cool which was you wanted to like you were, I don't even do you remember? remember exactly okay what so I what said. you said was is you're like this is so crazy after because there was when you spoke at the um conference the the, the um last thing that you had spoke at was just a bunch of women mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um well it was like 
part of the conference. It was a bunch of women. We were in a room. The sunrise and gathering. Yeah. The sunrise gathering. Mm-hmm. And you were like, um, you know, with a bunch of women there. And we just, I just never really surrounded by that much women, but like at once. And there's something that definitely really powerful about that. And I walked away from that. But then you had said after that cross experience was, um, after that, you had said, after that sunrise gathering, I prayed for every single woman or that they would have a very personal experience yes. that matched or like yeah. that matched who they were or mm-hmm. like, you know, and so after I had posted that, you had written in the comments, you're like, wow, this is so crazy. This is exactly the prayer that I had written, um, either that morning or that evening or something like that. And you had, you would text out the whole prayer. Yeah. So you guys can look back. I'll, you know, February, January, something, 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 yeah, 2019. It, like, it would be like the 20th. I think. The 20th. Yeah. It has our whole conversation. So yeah, this was, was before the podcast. This mm-hmm. is before I, this idea even came to light, but, um, it definitely is a special moment for me because it just was a, a moment in time where, um, God had been really putting together some things in my life and enlightening them, which he always does for, you know, for all of us, but this particular thing with the podcast and everything yeah. like that is just like it kind of set the stage for what you were because you were asking those hard questions like God what do you have for me next what do you have for me and then he showed up in just that really just like kind of off the wall way on Facebook that picture that was just like a beautiful reminder of like listen I've got you I'm here you didn't even see me but I'm here yeah and I've got something else for you you know and then all of a sudden cue podcast you know like right he had this bubbling up inside you so yeah it's just amazing so and then like um you had also said something that kind of resonated too. It was just like, he's not done with you. He's, he, it's, he's just, hold on. He's not done yet. Yeah. He's not done yet. Like th- things have, it's just, it's a process. Things are in motion. Other things are in, I, I don't know. I just felt security with that. It was really cool. So anyway, but enough about that. Um, so yeah. So as this started to unfold, I was just like, well, Jenna, I mean, like, would you come on here? Because it's like, after hearing your testimony, after hearing you speak about just application, biblical knowledge, um, just life, you know, um, I just was like, I hope she would want to come up here. So she is yeah. here now. Yeah, I'm so thankful to be here. Yes. Yeah, thanks for the invite, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so let's start with, um, you know, where you're from, yeah. you know, where you are now, and then we can kind of unfold after that. Cool, okay. yeah. Um, so I grew up in Ashland, Oregon, which is um, the southernmost part of uh, Oregon, and I grew up on a ranch that is like 22 miles east of Ashland itself. Um, so I grew up in the mountains. Um, my family owned a Christian camp and retreat center up there, and so my whole life, basically, I lived uh, working this ranch property and accommodating um, schools and churches and um, like businesses when they bring their groups up to our ranch retreat center um, and so I come from a Christian family and so that was kind of my whole upbringing was just ranch life um, and then currently I live in Westland I moved here um, I guess it's almost been 10 years now I've been in Westland um, I live with my husband Brian and our um, our little guys I've got Emery she's four and Daniel is two and four and two yeah yeah it's the crazy yeah. good <laughs> crazy crazy yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah so that's so, right now mm-hmm. yeah and so how long so how long have you been married then like did you meet here Wait, yeah how did... yep so I met Brian here um six years we've been married this year okay um yeah 
And so I moved to Portland right after graduating from college down in Ashland. Um, and you're like a, you're, aren't you like a lawyer too or something? <laughs> no, but you went to law. Don't you have lawyer oh. stuff in you? Oh, okay. Well, I did a bunch of, um, like the military justice. I studied a bunch of um, military law stuff at U of O while I was there. Um, I had intended that was sort of my trajectory. I was aiming at law school and then basically all sorts of, um, (laughs) all sorts of things happen to, uh, steer that in a different direction. (laughs) As life does. Yeah. As life does. So when you spoke, you had also talked about like, okay, so like your spiritual journey, like you were raised this way. And then how did things start to unfold for you? Yeah, like, totally. what kind of started to happen yeah. in your life? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. So, so um, I think, you know, when I look back on my childhood, I think sort of classic Christian upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a lovely family, um, not perfect by any stretch, um, but, you know, good. Um, I have lots of joy when I think back on my childhood, um, but basically my childhood faith began to really, um, it basically, it was not strong enough for me when I started to face some real harsh realities. Um, when I turned 16, my best friend, uh, had committed suicide and it was a total like surprise. And I think what happened that, that began a sequence of events for me, um, as just a young person that I felt like my my young faith did not have the tools or understanding for how to process it. Um, so in my mind, it's like, I think, I think all of us could relate to this on some level where like, you know, at some point our faith has to become mature and the things that we understood as children have to be molded into a more, uh, basically God just has to show up in different ways as we start to deal with disappointment and grief and conflict and loss. And so I think for me, by 16, I just could not sense God in why he, like, it's asking those hard questions, like, why would you take her? Like, why, why did this happen? And I think because I felt so lonely and all that, I did not feel like um, I had anyone to walk through that very much with. At that point, I was actually starting to really struggle with my relationships with both of my parents. Um, my parents had decided to um like separate that that same year there was all sorts of like conflict happening with some of my brothers at home and so how many siblings do you have yeah there's um there's five of us all together I'm second to last okay yeah okay so you're a little yeah yeah not quite the youngest but um yeah anyway so there was just like a lot of really heated stuff happening on the back end for me personally leading up to this incident with Sarah Joy so by the point that Sorry, that was my friend that had yeah. committed suicide, Sarah Joy. So by the point that she had committed suicide, I felt like all of my trust structures, the people in my life that I, that you would typically go to that's, you know, like for comfort or to help you kind of sort through those things, I just did not feel like I had. Um, so what that kind of sent me into was like a really deep depression, but just functional, you know, like just functioning and going to high school. But like I started disengaging in the sense that um, – I think my depression just took shape in that I just got really reclusive. I just wanted to spend time in the in the wood shop. I'm like I'm a woodworker, so I just got reclusive in the wood shop. I didn't really want to socialize that much. But then um, I think it took a little bit of a different turn where that kind of like void and that um, that 
young pain that I didn't know what to do with, um, I think I just started redirecting that pain at finding something to uh, soften the blow, and that was kind of the what way that I'm. Good. Yeah, what what medicated that was um, trying to essentially get attention from uh, boys. You know, yeah. it's just kind of a classic high school thing, I think too. But I think for me, it was not necessarily that I even like liked the boys. It was more like I was just wanted to be seen and noticed so that I it could take some attention off of what I was feeling so badly internally. Um, yeah, so at that point, I think I just kind of went on a downward spiral. Um, it became a bit addictive, the process of getting um, guys to like me. It became this like um, this really terrible addiction that it's like it's like any other addiction you know it's like they always say that you're actually just trying to fill a really a, a god-sized hole in your soul but it just takes all sorts of different shapes so like that's a dopamine, what it was for me like it was yeah. a dopamine effect to have the attention of something yeah. like that yeah and I was not having sex with these guys it was more just like trying to get them to trying to get myself feeling wanted and that produced this like temporary high and also I think that had a lot to do with that. I just wasn't sensing that from any other man in my life, meaning my dad at that point. And I just was really struggling with some of those, you know, like I said, those trust, trust structures. So anyway, I'm yeah. not trying to, um, you know, I take full responsibility for those decisions, but I think that's just kind of where it started. And so that kind of continued for me for quite a while. Well, and if you look, if you think about it, a kid, 16, I mean, shoot, I didn't have anyone commit suicide in my life at that time. But I remember feeling like those same things. Mm -hmm. So coupled with mm -hmm. normal hormones, yeah, yeah, and, just like and normal nutrition stuff plus that, mm -hmm. I don't, yeah, I mean, it makes yeah. I just makes, didn't. I just feel like I didn't have the tools to wrestle with those big God questions. And the thing is, it's I can't ever say that my faith um, like shook during that time period. Like I always tr like felt like I always believed in God. It wasn't like that I didn't believe in him but I just could not sense his goodness in that and I think that's I think that's pretty natural in death it's hard to see what God's doing with that you know um right yeah so anyway by the time I so I go off to college um I went to the University of Oregon for my first two years um by the time I get there I I mean just frankly I didn't even know what to do with myself when I got to U of O I'm like farm girl like fresh off the farm what am I doing <laughs> in my first big city it's not even that big you know but like right right but, but for me for it felt you, yeah. huge and so I'm doing dorm life and I just think I got really um like exposed really quickly to what dorm life is oh, and for yeah. me it felt really shocking I think for probably maybe some like normal average kids it may not have like felt like that big of a deal but for me it felt like um a lot of culture shock in a way just like the drugs the alcohol the sex just like all the up in your face stuff because parents are gone and so yeah, right. um that felt and I know it makes me even sound like so naive I'm saying that but for me it felt like a big big deal and so coupled with so that's all brand new and I'm still kind of all that I know at this point is that I'm I'm loving when I do get attention from guys because it's the only thing that seems to feel like comforting is to feel wanted even for like a short amount of time. So that keeps going on. Um, by the end of my sophomore year, um, my father has some pretty complicated health issues and they had anticipated that he was going to pass away at the end there of my sophomore year. So I ended up leaving college, moving home to Ashland at which point um, I just basically moved back in with my parents and 
they decided not to <laughs> separate. Right. Uh, but that was not necessarily healthy though either. And so, um, yeah, I stay with them for a little while trying to help take care of my dad. My en- my dad ends up doing this full recovery. So at that point, I'm like, I think I'm at this point, I'm just 20. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, what do I do now? Like, I just bailed on school. Uh, I guess my dad's not dying. I guess like, you know, it's just like all these, like this whirlwind of things happening. So I just decided to enroll back in school at SOU there. And I, in doing so, it was great to get back, like plugged in with school. But then in doing so, I end up meeting, um, somebody who I end up dating. It wasn't just like getting him to the point of liking me. I end up dating him. Um, I end up losing my virginity to him. He, uh, is great in the beginning. Um, and then it, this ends up turning into several years down the road, um, quite an abusive relationship. And that just, I think took my soul for a whole different, um, a whole different ride that I had zero tools to um to deal with and part of that was me by being naive when I went into it um me still believing in God but again it was like my relationship with God was unable like as immature as it was back then it was just not able to inform the pain I, I didn't know how to allow my faith to inform conflict and abuse and like how to think through those things um just from a really strong perspective, I just didn't have that. I just felt so weak um, during all those years. When I look back and I think back on myself back then, I'm like, man, just the depression and just the allowing of the mistreatment of myself and um, just that, like, I just envisioned myself just struggling. I think just day to day, I just remember feeling so just like, just like lost. And then I would always feel confused, like, but wait, I believe in God. I shouldn't feel lost. But then it's like the reality was, I just did. And it's just, I had all these really hard questions and I, I allowed a lot of things to happen to me that I should not have allowed. But then again, some things were imposed on me that I had no control over. So, so like in that though, like, so you're, so you're, did you know, did you feel like abuse was happening? Um, I think I remember the first, when I first started sensing that this is totally not okay. I remember thinking, but let me extend grace there to him. I, I, maybe he just made a mistake. Like maybe he just blew it. I know I'm supposed to forgive. Right. So like, I mean, I'm just walking, walking through what my very naive processing was. It was like, wow, I know, I know he cares about me. He totally did not mean that. I'm going to forgive him. We all make mistakes, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then it was like just time and time again. So then what I think what kind of happened there too, is I ended up losing my virginity to him. And in my mind, I, for my whole life, it was like whoever I lose my virginity to is supposed to be my husband. And I had already in my mind blown it. And so I think I had committed my soul to him in a way like that was totally inappropriate because what that then did was invite the abuse to keep happening because I had committed to him. Cause in my head, I'm just shaming myself about, um, sexually sinning with him. Right. And, um, this all sounds really terrible when it's all coming out of my mouth, but that I'm like, I just, I also, now at this phase of my life, I have such a different, um, love and empathy for that girl that I was back then. I just see her so differently. Um, as I'm raising a daughter, I just can see into some of that, like that pain that I had and just like those allowances of like, where you're trying to give people the benefit of the doubt and it's coming from a naive and sensitive place. But then you have to realize too, then like at some point abuse, um, I allowed it 
you know, there's that whole reckoning of like, I allowed it at some point. And that is where I just wish that I, um, that I would have known that I could have safely gone and told someone. And I just, I was really scared to tell anybody. Um, and I also felt really foolish. I felt really dumb because when I look at my family, um, I come from, you know, this great family, this like successful family. And I just felt like such a black sheep, um, you know, and I didn't want to be a disappointment. Um, all of which, of course, those are emotions that now I, like I said, I have empathy for now and I understand differently. But back then, um, it was a really intense weight to carry. Just a shame. A lot of shame. Shame, man. Yeah. Shitty shame. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. I mean, okay, so, so in that, okay, this is the stuff that gets hairy, you know, mm -hmm. because yeah. like you think faith, you think Okay, first of all, I just have to back up. Mm -hmm. One thing I've realized in grief, because there's some things that are coming out for me personally now, mm -hmm. that trauma mm -hmm. is a trippy thing. Yeah. And trauma, when you're grieving a trauma, I've realized that your body, like your physical body, your emotional state, and your logical state never really match the same. Mm-hmm. Because they all process differently. Yeah, yeah. and at different yeah. times. That's right. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's like when, you, like back to when you were 16, I'm thinking to myself, you know, like your body, like there's just so much that was that, that a trauma. A trauma yeah. had happened and never really been dealt with mm -hmm. and then led yeah. to, it's like piled on. Well, I think you nailed it though. I think... So that was an origin, you know, her death was an origin for me and of that led to so many other things. And I think the crux of that is that, like you had said, I actually, I never dealt with that. And it was more like, I just moved right into coping, you know, and like not really even processing it. Part of that was not feeling like I had anyone who could actually process that with me adequately. But then also because it's also weird how we do death in the West. It's like, we also just expect people to like, just be moving on very quickly. Whereas yeah. like, there's so many other cultures that actually take a full year of mourning and take that whole process intimately, seriously. And, um, I think just my 16 year old self just felt, I was just actually unable to process it. And so I think I just stuffed it for a long time, but then in doing so, of course, um, I think all psychology points to this. We all know these sort of things now. It's like if you stuff any pain for long enough, it ends up showing its ugly face up somewhere else in your life. Yeah. You know, it wreaks havoc somewhere else in your I life. I mean, right and now you're able to say you stuffed it. Yeah, but of then, course I didn't know it then. Right, yeah. you didn't know it then. I was then. just going, moving forward. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. so, and then these are the kind of questions that we all ask. Yeah, Okay, totally. God, yeah. where were you in that? Where yeah. are you in that? And yeah. how are you going to... Totally. Carry me out of that. So, yeah. like, you're talking about it from a point of view, like, and I'm talking about the whole shebang, like, mm -hmm. the shame of mm -hmm. an abusive relationship, what your parents thought, this and yeah. that. And you did believe in God, and you did, like, we're like, okay, God, where are you in this? What should I do? Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And you're, like, in your logical mind making these decisions. What do you think spiritually was going on there that, like, went... This yeah. is the hard stuff. Yeah. This is mm -hmm. the hard stuff because... This is where I struggle yeah. personally with just like when bad things happen, you know, or like you're getting through things like, God, where were you on that? He was there. Uh, I'm trying to put into words like what I'm thinking, like, because you're saying to me like, well, I, 
you, you don't want to be a victim. You made these, de- you made yeah. these decisions. Yeah. And so therefore, because of that, mm-hmm. you know, there's that. Mm-hmm. So how would you say with like the God part of it? Like, yeah. how did yeah. that come to light into your, the path of where you are now? As far as just like, how did it yeah. get better? Yeah. How did it or how out? did it, or did it get worse before it got better? Or did, yeah. you know, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. because I don't want to skip over the part of where like, it's like God as in he, yeah, he was there. I, you know, he was there and I made these things and then it's like, but was he there? You know, like mm-hmm. the iffy parts of yeah. just like, yeah. So I would say it definitely had to get worse before better. And of which only now I can say that I'm just really grateful for. Um, it's so weird to say, like, I'm really grateful for the eventual pain that I had experienced, but, um, Yeah, so I guess I'll just fast forward. So the point at which I'm able to sort of escape is the most realistic word of that for that um, relationship. Relationship. Did you have anybody come in and say, "Hey, dude, you're this guy's like no good," or did you just Um, finally realize? No, because I, you know, I actually wouldn't tell anyone all the truth about it. Um, It's like I found myself actually trying to protect him um, from people's opinions of him by not telling the truth because it was such a manipulated. process it was such a manipulated like could yeah I mean it's like and he even had me convinced at different points like when he was like cheating on me it was like he had me convinced it was because I was not performing well enough in sex it was like because I had made him do that because I wasn't um behaving properly and these like different things were like now it's just textbook right like I I, I could call that an, that that's textbook abuse right or total manipulation but back then because I was just so tender-hearted and so wanting to believe believe that someone really did love me and also just wanting to assign everybody the grace that I just really knew in my heart about God like I overextended that totally and into like where I would rationalize abuse for the sake of grace so I think we're talking about a really twisted um like just kind of a really messed up view of God. Like there's no way that God wanted that for me. There's no way that God intended that. And he did not will that and he didn't cause that. But I, again, I allowed it because I just kept assigning grace where I actually should have assigned a full blown boundary and an escape. (laughs) So anyway, so, so yeah, that's, um, just kind of the underlayers of how that went down. But, um, so then, yeah, I end up exiting that relationship and I moved to Portland um, right at that same time. And right when I moved to Portland was not when I met my husband, but right when I moved to Portland, um, I started a new job and I ended up meeting um, this guy. And his, um, I'll just leave his name out because he's actually a public figure here in the Portland area. But um, I am swept off my feet by this guy. He had done three tours in Iraq, just this total outstanding citizen from all like cultural metrics, right? It's like he's just... He's outstanding. And we hit it off immediately. I'm so taken by him because of his nobility. I'm like so taken by like, he's so kind to me. And I just came out of this abuse. So pretty much anything is, anything kind just feels like the world to me, right? So I'm just so swept off my feet by him. Um, so we start dating for, and about a year in, um, we get engaged. Um, and everything just on the surface is great. Um, like good job, um, great guy, good family guy. Um, we end up putting a down payment on a house. Um, and right about that time I end up intercepting, um, a call that ends up turning out to be his other 
girlfriend that is also pregnant. So he had actually been what? <laughs> been um, dating her while dating me, and um, they're now married, actually, and now they have multiple kids together. But just I think the point is that he actually had planned on marrying me and planned on having these two separate lives. And so I think what that did for me, and so it was just like, all the message through all these situations for me, um, this is at least how I view it now, is like out of my wounds, like out of me wrestling or not wrestling with the death of my best friend, the really deep, um, which I really, I didn't go to and I'm not sure I, I feel comfortable with going into the kind of situation with yeah. my dad, but yeah. sort of those original wounds from the only other man that I had known in my life um, kind of funneled into these toxic relationships with men that I just could, it's like I could never nail down what healthy looked like. And um, so then by the time that on the outside, I found like I had finally found healthy, right? Like I had finally found this um, this guy who on the outside has everything all together, you know? Um, then to find out that he was just willing to have put me through and this other girl put, her, um, put us through just this total lie. And I think that that, had completely, completely wrecked almost everything that I had left after the abuse. It was like I had even, you know, coming out of the abuse, it was like, I'm just out of this. Like, I'm done. I'm out of here. But again, I actually had not dealt with it, you know, in all of its layers. I just escaped and moved on, right? And right. so all because of this that's time. Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah, you just stuff it. You move yeah. on. You're surviving, right? Yeah, so then, survival. Um, Tricky thing. Yeah. So by the time this happens with this, um, this guy, I just feel like, it was almost like he was the catalyst. He was like the last wound that drew out all of the previous wounds. And I just feel like it sent me on this downward spiral where, I mean, it's like if I just get back into my head as a 20, I think I was 26 at that time. Um, no, I guess I was 25. Sorry. Yeah, 25 at that time. In my head, I'm just like, all that I know is that the men that I've trusted myself with do not value me. I am not worth real love. I'm not worth treating kindly. Um, I'm too much for them. They cannot find fulfillment in me. So again, I'm not enough. Um, I must not be beautiful enough. There's better out there clearly. Like they're not choosing me. Like they go find something better. It's that. And then it's like just all those lies just started to just totally just, I mean, just, they just completely overwhelm me to where my already small um, sense of self-worth and any dignity that I even had left was just so shattered. And also because I had banked some future on this guy, right? Like we're engaged and like we're making all these plans and there's money on the table. We put it down on a house. Like there's real investment there and then all of a sudden just um, gone, like poof. And so, Jeez. yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting because it's like I know how some people would view that. It's like, okay, this girl has like, um, you know, crazy father father issues like textbook it's that and then yeah wow I'm just like another girl with problems with guys like welcome to the club so yeah it is all that and then in addition to that though um I just feel like the Lord's been really teaching me that it is so far from God's heart to oversimplify pain um, where like I had always just done a quick medication of anything where it's like I never got into drugs or alcohol and stuff it was like just men were my um were my drug you know of choice mm -hmm. and like it's not like I was sleeping with all these men but just right. like after that I was always after 
relationship, you know, like healthy relationship and love, but just finding it in just the really wrong places. And so only what I can know now that I didn't know then was I was actually chasing the heart of God all of that time because I was longing for that fatherly love, that fatherly protection, mm -hmm. that, um, that just sense of like, you are just my beloved. You are enough. I'm choosing you, you know, like you're my everything. Like that is the heart of God towards me. But I think because I didn't have that example in the flesh, the stories in the Bible about God being that I couldn't get that to relate to, to my personal life, like how I was actually experiencing reality. And then coupled with me not knowing how to deal with my the pain and the questions, the major questions that come from grief and loss and death, all that stuff is like coupled. So daddy issues coupled with those well, wounds, you know. Also, lot you can almost almost logically talk yourself out of anything. Of course. Oh, and that was the whole other thing is you're I a think, smart cookie. Well, I also learned, you know, my um, my capacity for self deception through those things. My capacity for um, where I would actually um, like self deceive that that this is an okay way to be treated or that this is all that I'm worth or that maybe this is actually all that God has for me. Like, wow, this is feels pretty bottom of the barrel, but I guess I just need to take my lot in life and blah, blah, blah. And it's like just how you can self-rationalize, you know? Right. And um, I think that is really sad when I think back on it. But now I'm able to identify where those roots are and I've now, I've now done the work. I've now, you know, I've yeah. spent, you know, the last 10 years really, um, processing those things. So, yeah. Well, you said too, like, um, when you say how God doesn't want to oversimplify pain. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's unpack that a little bit. I'm feeling like that's a huge statement. Totally. Um, yeah. can you expand on that? Like, yeah. well, I mean, there's really that words kind of explain it itself, but yeah. But I think when you've been through pain, the, the logical, hu the humanness of mm -hmm. just wanting to move on. I mean, yeah. stuff that you're talking about with loss, with loss of, you know, with death, and then also just loss of self, loss of, um, you know, those uncomprehensible things, you know, um, yeah. how our human mind can just talk ourselves out of feeling that pain, you yeah. know. Um, I think what a lot of people say, too is is that a logical thing that a lot of people say to themselves is that well I did that to myself so I almost I need to suck it up and move on yeah mm -hmm. yeah so, you know well I made that decision so pfft, yeah my bad yeah therefore all the consequences and feelings mm -hmm. are on me yeah I think what um, isn't I mean isn't that like people totally. if people that are listening to this right now it's yeah. like you're in pain mm-hmm I know I like I I can think of myself right now like in a couple of things that I know that I'm working on that I've had to literally like the the disbelief of what because this is what it is this is what it is is it it's actually the, the believing in the the um in the deception of in that pain of in that pain you know um is there you're believing a, a character about God that's not true that's right that's right. I, yeah, you totally nailed okay. it. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I was afraid. I was like, where are those words? Yeah. But that's why those pains, he wants to, those pains have to be identified because yes. then it, he's saying, no, I'm not. 
like for instance, I can just say this right now. It's like he's been wanting me to deal with the fact that we lost a house Mm -hmm. in Redmond, like ripped underneath us. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I can logically say, well, no one, well, I could say no one died, but actually someone did. But like, I didn't lose a kid. I didn't get cancer. I didn't. Yeah. 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 Totally. Okay. Yeah. So then you talk yourself out of it. And then, but when I was like recently just, I was like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll deal with this. I'll deal with that, that hurt, that ugly, like feeling didn't, you know, one thought that came to my mind was just like, God, I don't feel like you gave me a chance. Like you didn't, you just took it away. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it, it ends yeah. up being a relationship issue with him. Yeah, totally. Well, I can just, I think. I feel like just, I just like barfed in the microphone, but no, does that make sense? Totally yeah, okay. I think okay. I can speak to that a little bit. Um, what I believe that God has shown me beautifully and tenderly, you know, at the, and of course my life's not over, but just like, mm-hmm. you know, looking back on those years, you know, from 16 to 25, that um, roughly a decade of just what felt like non-stop anxiety and pain and depression and just confusion and abuse and just striving, so much striving. Um, so so much of that was self-inflicted and so much of it um, was not, you know, there was some that was and some was not. The death was not, um, was not my choice, of course. Like the abuse was at some point was not my choice set. Like, you know, at some point that was imposed on me and then at another point it became what I allowed. So it was both. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, um, you know, the unfaithfulness in those relationships, just the constant cheating and then um, just the lies about that. At the end of that, I feel like what God has really shown me is that no matter whether it is self-inflicted or whether it was imposed on us, we totally dismiss the deep and tender work of the cross if we undervalue our pain and if we undervalue the wounds that Jesus came precisely to redeem, whether it's at our hand or at someone else's hand. Mm -hmm. Um, Because what we're essentially saying is, oh, I did that to myself, so I deserve whatever is coming and I don't need to deal with that. I just need to move on because I did that to myself when really... Um, Jesus is there in, in every moment of that saying, actually that too. Yep. That too. That too. Yes. Let's cover that. Let's, let's take care of that. Like let's, let's deal with that, you know, because for Jesus, forgiveness is synonymous all through the gospels, right? Forgiveness is synonymous with healing. He uses them interchangeably. So in a sense, all of the spiritual journey that is my life and where all my wounds are and all my pain is actually a huge part of my spiritual journey. And so that is essentially me looking my pain in the face, looking wounds in the face, looking death in the face and saying, God, even this, you came for every single detail of this, whether I inflicted on myself or not. And if I, if I don't receive that love from you and actually do the work alongside you to heal these things and to go deep on all these and sort them out, I'm actually making a total mockery of the cross because if you didn't come for that, like if you came only for the perfect people that only had paid and posed on you, like we're talking a different gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus. So I think that he's just given me a real tenderness. um, And like I said, kind of an empathy for not even for myself, like to self justify just more like, wow, I just, 
I can understand now what it is to ask those really hard and big questions in the middle of pain to really grapple with God. Like, yo, where are you at in this, God? I don't see you anywhere. And also to realize that biblically, I mean, like in the Psalms, it's like we see David just angry and mourning, lamenting, like he can, I think what the, what David shows us in the Psalms is God can handle those emotions because he also can reckon with the beauty of our humanity. Just like, you know, how of course we are going to be grieved and our tears matter to him. And I think that's why to really develop this robust understanding of Jesus and his work on the cross is essentially to say every single wound every single tear has mattered and it's always mattered to him and so a part of my healing work if you will that I've been doing in this last 10 years since all that has happened has been essentially I know this sounds sort of weird and maybe abstract but I mean it's not but I think just to try to describe it is that I felt like God has asked me to take the Holy Spirit back with me into each of those memories and to just invite the spirit to speak to me through like so I'm literally placing myself back into some of those the harm like the harmful memories and I'm asking the spirit to come back with me in order to basically hash it all back out in my mind's eye like how did that go and say like God where were you in this and actually what did you what did what were you able to do with this even though in the moment none of that was good and it was never God's will but what were you able to produce because of it what is the fruit that you've brought out of that pain and that time period for me and um and then just asking him to it's almost like to coat like if I'm holding like any one of those one wound wounds in like my hand I just ask the spirit of God to like coat it in his healing like balm like just that to cover those wounds in only a way that the spirit of God could um just to be for me what I couldn't be for myself back then Mm -hmm. and only now am I able to see the ways that even though like at the hand of these different guys, I was mistreated and all these different things like that God actually was not that he willed that for me, but that he totally protected me. I didn't get pregnant in those situations. I didn't end up marrying that guy. I wasn't locked in a, in a marriage relationship. Like I was able to escape. He was able to rescue me out of these different things. And then in addition to that, um, put me up on this like I feel like I've been on like this high point like on a mountain not like a spiritual high like not like a spiritual mountaintop but like I feel like truly like he actually plucked me up and rescued me out of so many of these different situations that in the moment were so hard and caused all sorts of just natural of course anxiety and depression because you're grieving relational complexity and you're grieving relational breach with it which is totally permissible it's like of course yeah like Jesus wept right like it's like there's there's our humanness that has to come through those wounds but then on the other side of it God what did you do through that um and so for every instance of my life where I feel like there was a really a turnkey wound or um death or and there's all sorts of things obviously I'm not naming um just as far as other things that happened in that decade but I can now see his hand at work weaving all of those pieces together in the most extraordinary like tapestry that now has produced this incredible effect that he was actually using those things, not that he willed them, but used them to prepare me really uniquely 
for what he's actually called me into for the rest of my life. Like the job that he's assigned me for the rest of my life, I would not at all be prepared for if I wouldn't have gone through all of those things. So nothing is wasted. Dude, nothing's wasted. Yeah. 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 So when you say to, okay, with putting a phrase on it, when you say, um, like when it relates to his death, the death on the cross and no problems too big or too small. That's right. When you say, when God's opening up those doors of like, no, 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 those problems are big to me. Mm-hmm. Don't, yeah. don't minus those out. Yeah. Then, yeah. then basically you're saying by saying, well, that doesn't really matter. I should be over that by now. Mm. Like, in my oh yeah, life. I just, yeah. You, okay. Yeah. That's basically saying that. Am I basically saying like, okay, God, your work on the cross was just not really, like, how does that? It's almost like you're saying, um, what am I saying? This, yeah, like this actually doesn't matter. Or you're saying like, this isn't valuable enough for your, your death on the cross to apply to this. Or I can deal with this on my own. Yeah, that part, that part. Yeah. Okay. So I'm saying, but God's saying. Okay, because every little thing matters. It does, yeah. Every pain matters. Absolutely, yeah. So you're, I'm just trying to get the words to this. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling here. Um, him saying on the cross, like, by saying that your problem is too small, mm-hmm. like, by saying yeah. that's too small, it's it's not, it's minimizing what he did on the cross. Yes, because I think it sh- I think what we're actually saying implicitly is. I've got this, God. I'll deal so with it pride. in my own way, totally. And it's, it's a pride kind of a deal. control thing. Yeah, like, like I got myself into this. I'll deal with it. You need to like your death was clearly for people who have way bigger problems than me, or you know, like we just over we're or we don't deserve it, or we don't deserve it. That's There's right. that part. Yeah, and so I think both those roots that though mm. are, yeah, I mean, pr- like prideful in nature, just saying like no, but. Not me. This wasn't your death. wasn't for me though. Not in this. Not this situation. And so you're actually qualifying the sin for Jesus when actually he's saying, "I've seen it all, every single thing, and I, that is why I died." That one. Yep. That one too. Yep. And that one. You know. So like, it's not our job to qualify, um, like, what Jesus is capable of healing and whether he wants to or not, because the Bible, the library of scripture is clear. Jesus is after our healing and after our wholeness and after our peace. And um, all of that is found in him. And so anytime we minimize that is is where I think we're implicitly saying, oh, that wasn't for me, though. The cross wasn't for me. You didn't yeah. do that for me because I all need to deal with this on my own. Let's stuff this. Um, yeah, and I think he's just always calling us to more. He's always going to call us up to more. And he's, you know, little by little, especially, you know, the longer we – are in relationship with God. It's like, you know, in the beginning, of course, we're dealing with like, you know, our, our more like, um, what's the language? Like our kind of outright sins, the things that are like obviously opposing God's heart for us, right? Like our, like kind of major sins. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like I'm not going to steal anymore. I'm not going to, you know, like whatever. But then, you know, over time he starts getting at these deeper layers. Mm -hmm. And part of that is getting at our motivations for things and our attitudes about things because those are things we can't measure right you don't see those on the outside but he's after every single piece of us and so when we think of our life in terms of we are the sum total of everything that's happened to us we're the sum total of our habits and you know like we are 
our family of origin is part of us. So it's like when he's looking at our whole life story, the whole summary of who we are, we're a mixture of all those things and he wants all of it. Like he wants all of it because he wants to redeem all of it. The things that we didn't choose and the things that we did choose. And I think that the further that we get to submitting to that point of just letting him in, like, man, I just, I just don't think there's any more beautiful place to get to where you're essentially giving the spirit of God permission to enter those deeper places and those wounds and say, okay, where I've tried to control the pain here, where I've tried to medicate it myself, where I've tried to stuff it, the reality is I'm not really doing that good of a job. And I think if all of us are honest with our pain and with our current situations, the things we've gone through, if we're honest, um, we realize we are actually not enough to solve our own problems. We're actually not enough to deal with our own depression and with Mm -hmm. our own anxiety. Like we actually are not enough, even though that's not the mantra we hear from our culture, right? That you're enough no matter what, but then it's, that doesn't deal well with our, with our human experience because we somewhere, we always fall short. Like I think that's kind of the beauty of like where you're able to sit with your own life story for long enough and kind of start sorting out the pain. Okay. What drove me to that point of depression? Like what was the root system there behind that anxiety for that whole year? God, like what was that? And then taking the spirit of God back into all that pain with you, I think just opens a beautiful new door for our relationship with him, you know, inviting him into the unseen places, even if we don't value them, just believing that he does, just trusting him enough that he does care because he cares about the whole of us, not just parts, you know. I, I know, and it's fascinating. It's almost, I love discovering, you know, in, in, in the human experience, we, we feel like we're in control on so much. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I love when I get a knock on my shoulder of like, mm. hey, we're not okay in this area. Let's, let's talk about that. I'm just like, I'm almost kind of like, like it hurts, but I'm also feel so much immense love, you know, cause in that, because it's surrender, like when you've in a place of surrenderance and that freedom, and then you get that knock on the shoulder where you're like, Hey, let's, let's go back to this. And I'm like, uh, but I'm also like, okay. Didn't think anything was wrong with there. Show me. Like I get Mm -hmm. kind of like, yeah, I want to yeah. know what that was like. What, what, what is the problem, you know? And then feeling that pain, I'm like, wow, I'm allowed to feel this mm, pain. Totally, yeah. That totally. There is a different, it's a different yeah. feeling. It's yes. like a, it's like, wow, I can really feel that. Like, I think, you know, and what I've either told myself or been like raised in or I don't know, a mixture of things just mm-hmm. in the human existence is that it's, um, you're on your own or like, yeah, it's so much of that, you know? Well, and I think you just got at a really important, like really crucial point. So like, so for example, like our grandparents' generation, they were in a sense when they dealt with their emotions or like all those sorts of things, it was an overly stoic approach to things. Like you tough it out, you stuff it, right? You like, you just, you make do. Well, it's a mentality. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, part of that was in, you know, depression era, they're actually mm-hmm. surviving all the, you know, like yeah. they're just trying to get by. So there's that. But then, you know, we've also progressed to this whole other side of the spectrum. The, f- like the f- farther extreme is like, we're so, as a culture, we're so over the top emotionally in a lot of ways where we're like, our emotional state can rise and fall based on the number of likes we get on social media or something. Oh, so right. the, mm-hmm. I'm just saying the spectrum of emotions mm-hmm is all over the place um, generationally. And so I think what 
you know, thinking in terms of, okay, our apprenticeship to Jesus and while we're working through the implications of like our wounds and what does his life, death, and resurrection mean for us right now, um, I think it's just coming to some sort of really nice balance there where it's like recognizing that he honors and is with us in every single human emotion because he experienced the same thing or he was a human just like us and experienced every single spectrum of emotion that we did and yet what does he do with it he always it's like we find him in the garden on his knees going to the father surrender right like in every single one of those like when when Lazarus died like the shortest scripture in the bible right is Jesus wept so the point is but in all those he's taking all those emotions to the father sometimes he's withdrawing from the crowd he's getting alone like going to the mountainside i think it's one of those like he just shows us a really beautiful version of self-care if you will that like yeah. he's honest with his emotions but he knows that the outcome is very dependent on what he does with them and so if it's like if all jesus did was blast it on facebook it'd be one thing but instead he knows like i'm just you know i'm being yeah. playful but like right. the point is he he knows to take it to the father and um, I think that's a beautiful model for us in like every single one of these things inviting. And I think that's a really key word because God's not going to intrude on, on our lives, right? Like he will, free he will. always waits for mm -hmm. the invitation. He places such a high value on our free will that he'll always wait. He's a gentleman. He'll wait for an invitation into everything. And so I think the farther that I kind of get along and, you know, in my spiritual journey is recognizing I have to take that time like Jesus did to get alone um, when stuff comes up it's not like just because I solved you know or you know walked through some of my um, those wounds of my childhood it's not like those don't also have implications in my in my um, adult life so it's like I'm always having to bring this like constant work of bringing these things um, inviting the spirit of God into all of these things but doing the doing it the Jesus way it's like okay allowing the pain to exist like honoring it for what it is and then doing what is necessary to um to sort through it and not stuff it because i think our tendency is um to make everything okay we want to be we're problem solvers right and we're right. efficient in this late modern west we're efficient and we're like you know we're really strong independent women so we can't have like we can't be held down by anything but it's like holy smokes like that's just so i mean yes but like man like when it comes to the wounds it's like and just our life experience like relational complexity in marriage the stuff that everyone's going through conflict with friends like dealing with um difficult children or those sorts of complexities it's like everyone has their stuff they're working through but like if all we do is um cover it with like a surface you know a surface fix it's always going to be a band-aid it'll only ever be a band-aid unless we take it to the healer capital healer the one you know right yeah. and you know and if someone's at home and questioning why does this keep happening why do i keep why do i keep coming to the same place yeah. over and yeah. over and over mm -hmm. and over again it is something to look at yeah and being like yeah there's got to be something else here mm -hmm. god yeah yeah and i i mean i think there's I think I'll just maybe speak for a little bit on that from like my, and of course this is just my personal experience. I'm, I'm not, you know, imposing this on anyone else, but I would say what really helped me um, through those years of just like really intense depression and anxiety where it would take just, I mean, 
a, f a switch will be flipped in my mind and in my heart and all of a sudden I am just a total wreck from the top down where I cannot get a grip on my emotions. I cannot get a grip on my mind where I felt like so overwhelmed by some of the things going on. Um, what I really believe that God did in those moments for me was teach me a little bit about how to fight those battles and one of those ways was um, very, very clearly um, on one of those days for me where I was just a total wreck. I'm all over the place. I'm actually ready to commit suicide. In my mind, I had decided, this is right after um, that fiance of mine had um, had been exposed as, a, as cheating and all that kind of stuff. I remember sitting there thinking to myself like, it must be true. I must actually be unlovable. It must be true. I am too much to handle. It must be true. I'm not worthy of being loved for a whole lifetime. I'm not worthy of being committed to. All those different things. I remember that I just felt so racked by that, that it was like actually had pushed me year after year after year. That same message, that same lie had pushed me to the point of actually believing in my core that there was actually nothing left for me to, to live for. Like, why would I keep living when my experience now has taught me that life is, that it's not worth it, like that I'm not lovable, that no one is gonna, you know, like all those messages. What I feel like God really showed up in a very, very powerful way for me over that situation was I feel like, and I, I had been praying and fasting for basically just asking God, like really almost sternly in my prayer was like, Will you show up here? Like, will you just show up? I actually need to see. I need to hear from you in a totally different way because I've been trying it, trying it this way. I've been trying to follow the rules. I've been trying to be gentle. I've been trying to be grace-filled. I've been trying to do it all the right way and nothing is working. Like, this formula is not working. Like, where are you? Yeah, dude? where are you? And I feel like, and just honestly, I've he, he did. He just, he did show up and the way that he showed up will be very different for everybody. But the way that he showed up for me that day was, I feel like all in a moment's notice, like he, I, I felt like the spirit just asked me to sit down and start writing and which makes sense because writing is really the catalyst for all of my, um, like processing all of my like healing. I'm a writer, right? So like, it makes sense to me that I felt like he said, sit down and write. And as I began to write, I feel like he just full blown exposed every single lie that I had been believing that I did not even realize was a lie. And it was so weird because it was stuff like, were you making that connection as you were writing I was, it? Well, I didn't until the end. So in the beginning, I just felt like he just said, um, like write out everything you're feeling. It was like that. Was, right. So I'm writing out, I am unlovable. Like no one will love me. No one will commit to me. I'm too much. All these different things. And by the time I get to it, my list was really long. Um, by the time I get to the end of the list, I just felt like he just called out, lie, 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 lie. Like, don't you see? Don't you see that? That's a lie. It's a lie over you. Like, that is untruth over who you are and who I've made you to be. So then right after that, so it finally starts clicking. I'm like, these things that just felt like emotions, they were emotions, but they were rooted in a very uh, pervasive lie, right? So... But that had started to shape who I, who I was, and then what I did, like what I allowed, and the way that I processed things, right? So then I hear him say next, like, basically it's like then truth. So then it was so crazy because, all in the same moment, he starts bringing to mind all this scripture that I had memorized as a child, but I, I mean, I had not even thought of or talked about or anything in my entire adult life, 
all of a sudden he just brings to mind all this scripture that for every single, like if I'm looking on the page back and forth across from each lie, he just gives me the truth over every single one of those lies. Like you are not enough. And then he just fills in the scripture. Like I've given you a sound mind, like bubble, like all this type of stuff, like just back and forth. Like, um, you are chosen, like you're not forsaken, just like back and forth. And so I start realizing because he's handing me biblical truths to counteract every wow. single lie that I had been believing essentially from my childhood that had deeply shaped who I had become. Like he had to do that for me because that was the only way I was going to get out of essentially out of my own head. Because like when you're, when you're living in those lies and you don't even see them for what they are, those become toxic emotions and those take you on that whirlwind in your head. You know, like when you feel that and there's anxiety for all sorts of different things. Like, of course, there's all sorts of different reasons. But mine was very driven by lies that over time had become real enough to feel true to me. That I was not enough. That nobody would love me because I wasn't seeing an instance of where that was not true. No one was choosing me. No one was calling me worthy. No one was loving me. But meanwhile, God is just in the background waiting for me to get real enough and surrendered enough to say, okay, I'm actually at the end. I am actually at the end of what I can handle. Like either show up or I'm actually done. And I'm not saying, I'm not like condoning that as like a practice. I'm just saying that's, that's just where I was actually at in my life. Um, and so I just feel like he came through with the truth. And as I started studying what essentially I had written all that out, the lies and then the truths. And as I'm sitting there studying it, I just, all of a sudden it's like, I just start realizing the way that like, he just shattered those lies and like it had to be done because all of a sudden I'm realizing what if instead of living into those lies, I actually start taking him up on his truths. Like what if I actually start focusing believing. and believing him at his word? What would that change for me? And all that I can say is I made a commitment that day that like, because I was so close to ending my life where I just, and where he showed up for me when I was calling out to him to do that, I just committed my whole, the whole rest of my life. Like whatever this is going to look like, I'm just going to go off your truth list. Like I'm just going to go off your truth list. I can't do the lies anymore. I know that that literally leads me to death. That was a scripture I could never understand in the Bible that like sin leads to death. And I never got that, you know, and, but now I'm like, I get it because sin a lie is a sin. It's like an untruth. Even a half truth is still a lie, right? So it's like that sin that had so ingrained in my brain, those lies were actually literally leading me to the point of death. And so God shows up, of course, as the victorious, the warrior, the king who's saying, actually, you are my daughter. You are beloved. I've been choosing you all along. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for an invitation. And so from that point forward, I said, not that it was perfect, not like it's just like a magic pill and all of a sudden poof, like all the problems are gone. But I will say that little by little, as I started leaning into those truths and actually applying my whole person, my mind, my heart, and my body to those truths. And a lot of that meant I had to change up my habits. I had to change up my friends. I had to change up some like extreme measures. I had to stop listening to garbage music just because if I'm after truth, I have to get the right ideas in my head. I have to quit reading garbage novels. I need to start reading truthful things. Like I'm not saying everyone has to do this, but for right. me, it required extreme measures because I had you been on the other place. extreme end. Yeah. Right. 
So just little by little, and I and I have to say, so yeah, I did all those exterior things. I had to change up my habits and my relationships and you know all sorts of things, but nothing actually changed my life the way that, and maybe with the intensity that, a commitment or a discipline every single morning to show up before I do anything else in my chair with my coffee alone with with the Bible in my hand with a notepad in my hand and just basically again re-inviting God into the very beginning of my day and just giving it all to him getting in some scripture actually pouring myself into what do you have to say what is true and I just feel like little by little day by day now I'm you know 10 years later um, I feel like that those all of those things in combination have produced a fruit in my life and basically prepared me for the next I mean what will essentially be the work that I will do the rest of my life and um, I would be completely inadequately prepared if I would not have gone through every single step of both the pain and the healing so right. yeah yeah full circle in that yeah definitely so which leads to the next phase of your testimony and everything is yeah. the inter pearl project yeah. i've been wanting to ask like how did that name yeah like how did this birth yeah it's fascinating you? so um yeah, so about five years ago. Um, How old are you? Because I feel like we've been talking about 10 years here, 10 yeah. years there. Ten, yeah, I'm, you, 30, like, I'm 33. You're 33? <laughs> yeah. yeah. My gosh, I feel like you're like, I mean, you're you're smoking hot, but like, oh. I think, <laughs> yeah, but like, I was like the, what, these, these the decades that you're talking about, it mm. sounds like you're like 50. Yeah, so in my mind, I'm I like, think How like, old are you? 60. <laughs> No, I totally I'm get like, that. I'm like 60 years old in my mind because yeah. like... All the decades. Just, <laughs> I know. I think when I think in terms of like when I go oh back, I'm gosh, like... I view it like 16 okay. to like 25 is the rough. Like okay. nearly decade. And then okay. from 25 forward. So I guess that's more like... I guess I'm going on 34. So um, yeah, roughly the last nine years. So okay. not quite, not quite a decade on both ends. <laughs> but close. <laughs> oh, so funny. Uh, wisdom of a 80-year-old, but... Uh, yeah. So yeah. Okay. So yeah. Back to the. Oh, the name. So yeah. So yeah. So okay. So you're coming out of that. Yeah. So now um, you realize the truths. Yeah. So then I, I, I mean this. So now seven years ago, then I end up meeting Brian, who is now my husband. Um, Love Brian a good is, Brian. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So Brian is just. I mean, all things that are just good, and just so, yeah, so good. Yeah. Um. How did you meet though? Like, how did you? Yeah. Like, um, at the curse. time, I was um, I was a manager for Black Rock Coffee Bar, just oh, sort yeah? of like an in between job. And yeah, and Brian had been um, a customer of mine for about a year, and I so I had seen him like every day for about a year, and we just kind of like got to know each other a little bit that way. But um, so like you know, what he would drive dating. up? Or? Yeah, he just come order his coffee every morning. He'd show up at like five forty five in the morning, like super did early. Did you have his coffee? Like, did you know what? It oh was yeah, like? I totally had it ready every day. Oh, he my was like a uh, flavored rock star guy. Okay. <laughs> so not coffee. But yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so so yeah, I'd have his coffee ready, and we would just chat a little bit, and it was always just really just chill. And he was just so like non-invasive in that like in that industry, you kind of get used to guys being kind of up in your business and like asking you out a lot and just like really flirty and stuff. And he was just so just like kind and just like just real and like unassuming and just gentle and. 
wouldn't ask me a lot of questions, just like a real respectful, like, you all, you can offer whatever you want to me and I'm not going to pry anything out of you type of guy. And which was so refreshing for me. Just anyway. So yeah. Um, and then I basically, when it came to like the last day of that job for me, um, I just told him, I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, listen, it's like the last day for me here. Like, it's been so good to get to know you. And I always felt like just this really tender place for him, but I was just such a wreck. I just knew I wasn't in any position for a guy like him, let alone, I mean, let alone anyone else. Like he was just so top notch. And so, um, but he was like, well, like I caught him off, off his feet, but he was like, um, do you want to like maybe go get coffee sometime? And I was like, guy, I work in a coffee shop. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> but, um, yeah. So anyway, that just yeah, kind of sent us. Yeah, he's probably definitely nervous. Yeah. Yeah. But so we just, uh, we oh, went to our so very cute. first date was at a Tim, uh, Tim McGraw country concert, which oh, was awesome. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So anyway, it's all history from there. It just, um, yeah, it was just Spark. great. Yeah. It went from there. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, but then, um, so five years ago I'm pregnant with my daughter, Emery. And, um, I actually felt like right when I had Emery, I was so excited to be a new mom. I was so excited for that whole new journey, but I also was struggling, um, weirdly. Like I didn't, I didn't know that I would feel this way, but I felt like when I was just home with her, I kept feeling that kind of like what you were talking about where you're like, you kind of get that point. You're like, okay, um, this is it. I'm a, I'm a mom now. Um, and for me, we had made a choice that I was going to be staying home with the kids. And it was kind of like, okay, so this is, this is what I am. This is all that I am. And it started to become kind of like a, oh, is this, oh, is this all that I am? And I'm not undervaluing motherhood. It actually is the literal hardest and most meaningful job, right? It is out there, right? Um, so I placed an incredibly high value on that, but I just could not shake what I believe was a really, um, like a holy discontent that I think God had placed in my heart because he had been priming me for something else. Um, in addition to being a mom that yes. I just hadn't foreseen. And so I had been praying and fasting, um, for, so I was coming up on my 24th hour of my fast. And essentially during my fast, I was just asking him like, what do you have for me? I'm, I'm sensing this desire that there's, or there's something else, but I just, I don't have a finger on it. Like, what is this God? Like, what do you have for me? And so, yeah, just asking, what do you have for my future? If this is it, I accept that from you. If just being a mom, as if that's not enough or hard enough, like, (laughs) which it totally is, but like, if this is, if there's more, like, let's go, like, let's go. I'm open, you know? And, um, in the 24th hour of my fast, I was doing the dishes in my sink and I, I almost hesitate saying this because like, if you're not a believer, like you probably wouldn't believe me, but verbatim, I literally in, in my own thoughts, I hear, which I believe was the spirit speaking to me, yeah. um, the Pearl project. And I am like, I mean, because it was so not, not anything I've ever thought of before and so abstract and I'm like in the middle of doing dishes and I'm just like, it just felt really confusing, but beautiful. So I was like, well, that's cool. But like what you know it's like really confusing um but just frankly I just felt like I had to go sit down because I'm also you know wise enough to know I had been praying the whole day asking God to show up with an answer right so I sit down my uh, my pen and paper and I just felt this flood of detail just coming out of me where he completely highlighted in detail these 12 different projects that all fall under the banner of the name, the Pearl Project. 
but essentially all of them are getting after our discipleship or our relationship with Jesus, but coming at it from a different way. And the point was always to be working with women. So I got that right away, was that I'm supposed to be working with women and that I'm supposed to be creating opportunities for women to gather together, um, to serve other women together, and to learn more about Jesus. And so as all of a sudden all these 12 different projects and their details start coming out on paper, and I know this sounds crazy like when I'm just talking it out, and that's why I feel always hesitant to tell anyone, but it's like, it, this, it's just the truth. So it's like, here it is. So I get done. I have literally 22 pages filled out of just all this detail of what the Pearl Project is supposed to be. And I just sit back in my chair and I'm like, I just, I like, I actually just have nothing to say because I'm just like, I don't even know what to say here. You gave me a full blown career path trajectory that is so complex, so detailed, so deep, and so just incredible that like, I do not even, I don't even have categories for this. Like, I don't even know what to think. So all I can say is I just keep praying, like I pray just fierce over this project because I know God literally handed me the game plan for the rest of my life for what I'm supposed to do on behalf of women um, to give glory to him. So, so little by little praying through it, I'm just, I start working out the details of what each individual project looks like. And um, so then, uh, then four years later, last May, I end up launching or introducing it online by creating an Instagram account for it and kind of launching on my personal Instagram and then a Facebook um, page for it. And essentially what the Pearl Projects is and has become now um, is, again, it's 12 projects, but what the we've launched five of the 12 projects in this last year. Um, and so here's the project. So one of them is the Pearl Strip, and that is where my team and I, we actually go into um, a strip club for uh, every single month, and we basically go, we just go kick it. We spend an hour with um, the strippers and with the waitresses there, and sometimes with the men that are there in the club. And really the heart behind this is to reach into the margins of our different communities and take our physical presence like we believe that we are embodied people that we have the spirit of god living inside of us we view our presence like our proximity to the club and to those girls as an important factor for this so our goal is to go be inside and be with these girls in a place that obviously is not really um is not healthy for all sorts of reasons but to try to develop relationships with these girls and at the very least we just pray thick over these girls and the men while we're in there um because we I know what it's like to be in um a frame of mind where you're after you're chasing after um anything but God <laughs> and where you're trying to um well I guess maybe I shouldn't speak too much into that I just I can relate to these girls mm -hmm. I know what it's like to use your body to get certain things that you're wanting or needing to feel and um Anyway, or so needing I just, to provide. That's right. That's right. I mean, yeah. some friends yeah. I, that I had were strippers were literally just like trying, just trying to, to pay the bills, trying to yeah. pay those bills, yeah. and man, they pay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, so that's that's one of them, um, and then 
and so we hope to expand all these projects we hope to expand and that's just really just based on um, us getting sort of the system established and the models down really really well before um, expanding the opportunities but we hope to expand um, the Pearl Strip to where we could get multiple groups of um, small groups of women going into different strip clubs all over any city frankly I mean there's no reason it couldn't be replicable in any city but just with a heart that's sold out to love these women in really unique ways um, we bring them gifts we, we bring them love care packages and um, they are full of uh, well all sorts of things but we deliver noonday jewelry to them um, and noonday jewelry is beautiful as far as a, um, a partner in this project because a lot of the women who create the noonday jewelry in all these other countries around the world some of them have lived as former prostitutes or sex slaves and have come out of the other side of that and now have this found this dignified work making noonday jewelry so we include some of that jewelry in these love care packages um we include my book in the love care packages which is called identity and calling but essentially it's a working theory for how we change through our um, apprenticeship to jesus so um, we include that in there for them, um, and then we have, I mean, it's just full of all sorts of different really intentionally chosen items. So, yeah, that's one project. We're just trying to minister to the strippers. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. one, and that's, yeah. like, when you walk, just curious, curiosity, because I yeah. see that one probably posted more yeah. on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That seems mm-hmm. like you guys do that one more. Yeah. Or at least that's what I see in my face more, uh-huh. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. When I'm on there. Okay. So, like, what's it like when you, go, like, do they know you? Like... Yeah. So you come in there and you're like, here's your bag or like, yeah. you just sit down and talk. Like, <laughs> I've actually, I, you know what? I've been in a strip club, a male one. Mm-hmm. I've never, I don't think I've ever been in a woman one before, uh-huh. but I've been in a male one. Yeah. And how do you even talk in there? Yeah. Like you just like walk in there, you're like, hey, can I have a drink or something? Or like, yeah, do you yeah, go yeah. backstage or like, how does no, that, yeah. like, how does that literally work? Like, I'm just curious. Like, yeah, totally. Um, you walk each... in, you literally walk in. Yeah. Yeah, so each, each time is a little different. Um, so our strategy is that we actually visit the same strip club for three months in a row. Okay. We do that because if we, you know, end up meeting up with any of these girls and we get to start having conversation with them, we want to give opportunity to develop those relationships a little bit. So we keep showing up the next couple months on the same night, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time and all that kind of stuff to try to catch those same girls. Um so once we walk in the club, like I'll just use our last club that we went to, for example, um, we just basically, yeah, we have all the gifts in totes. So we're just like, we're not like coming there like bags blazing. It's like they're all <laughs> yeah. hidden in like, <laughs> yeah. in like these, um, like leather totes and so whatever. Okay. And so, yeah, we go in there and we just usually we pay the door person, um, the cover charge or whatever. And we go up to the bar and we, um, like first usually and we just order our like waters or sparkling waters or whatever. And, um, usually like the bartenders are perpetually confused. Like, why are you drinking water in the right. strip club and you're a chick here? That doesn't make any sense. But, um, anyway, so yeah, but then we, we make a point to really tip really, really well. Um, even just for water, um, to the bartenders and to our servers, because part of it is we realize that we're developing rapport with all these clubs and with the people that work in there. And we want to, be known to them as people who are um, just generous and who are just loving in, I mean, just fairly unconventional ways. So, like, most people wouldn't tip for water, but, like, we're trying to just kind of go above and beyond for these girls. We feel like we have just a couple shots with them to um, develop relationship and um, to be in their presence, and we take that really seriously. So, 
Yeah, so we go to the bar, then we go usually um, pick a table somewhere in the middle. I thought you meant, when you said we only get a couple shots, I thought you had, like, actually Oh, had a- yeah, no shots. No, yeah. <laughs> You're water. like, we have a couple shots, shots of water. And then we, like, okay, yeah. okay, I can see where this is going. All right. Yeah, no, not so much the alcoholic shots. Um, yeah, just water. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so okay. then we head to a table, and generally, kind of at most strip clubs, we try to pick a center table where all the dance stages are, like, around us. Um so then we, the way that we have strategized this is we typically don't go in with any more than three or four at the max girls um, out of my team. And so we sit directly across from each other, each of us, and we sort of have this discipline for ourselves in the club that we actually don't look at any of the strippers for more than literally one second before we take our eyes back to our teammate right in front of us. So the goal, the the whole idea with that is we just recognize what um, just the effect that images have on us and what we see and what it does to the deeper layers of our psyche. I mean, we're fools to think, you know, if we say that that stuff doesn't actually affect us, even if we're there with good intentions. Um, we want to try to like discipline our minds to be really focused on the woman and not so much on her body or what she's doing. And just because it's distracting too, not like, not in a shameful way. I'm just saying like, you know, when you're watching a girl dance, it's hard to pray for her if she's, if you're just staring at her, taking her clothes off on stage. So since our, our goal in being there is to really be praying, like to actually lock eyes with these girls because they have a name and their name matters deeply to God and it matters to us. And so like we try to lock eyes with them and then just look back at our teammate and just be praying for them. Um, just, I mean, just covering them in all sorts of different ways. Um, so, and essentially they're just really beautiful prayers. We're praying for these girls, just asking God to just show up for them and just love them in really, um, intimate and beautiful ways. And, um, maybe in ways that they wouldn't expect God to, um, to care for them, or maybe they don't know God, or maybe they, you know, who you just never know. It's all individual. You're just Um, showing up. Yeah. And so, we never go walk up to a stripper and like start up a conversation. We really try to respect the fact that they're in, they're in hustle mode. So like they've got their game face on, they're trying to make money. I mean, that's what they're there for. So it would actually be an intrusion of their work if we were to go and sidetrack them um, mm-hmm. because they could be losing money that way. So we don't want to ever disrespect them that way. So we just wait um, until anyone comes and talks to us. And the way that that kind of works is like we we always end up building these just killer relationships with the waitresses. We feel like the waitresses, we just hit it off with like immediately because they come to the table and like they want to know if we want anything to eat or whatever. And and we just end up kicking it. They end up like, this has happened every single time. A waitress ends up coming and just sitting down and talking like, wait, so you girls are here just like to give these girls gifts and like hang out. And they're just, I mean, usually just really confused in the beginning. Right, yeah. And then over time, then they're like, these chicks are legit. Like, okay. Like they're actually just down to hang out and they're not judging us. Like they're just here to love on these girls. Like, okay. And we end up giving the waitresses love care packages too. Um, and so we've been able to strike up really cool conversation with these girls. And then what happens just kind of, kind of the way that the club culture works is the waitresses and the bartenders sort of set the tone for the opinions of the strippers with the customers. So like as soon as we're kind of in with the waitresses or bartenders, we're kind of in with the strippers, if that makes sense. Like, they're like, oh, they're cool. Those chicks are cool. Like, whatever. Right. Like, it's just kind of an interesting way that it works. But anyway, so um, some nights we go out of there feeling like, okay, we didn't really get to talk to anyone for about anything meaningful for very long. But we also believe that a lot is accomplished in the spirit um, while we're in there because we, we pray over every single man that we see in the club, too. 
every single dancer, every single waitress, um, every bartender. And, you know, my view on this stuff is it's like that. I think it's G.K. Chesterton who had said it at one point um, that every man that walks into a brothel or, you know, a strip club, any like that whole concept, any man who walks into a brothel is actually seeking God. And the point is exactly like what my story was where it's like you have everybody has this void in their life that mm-hmm. they're seeking something to put in it but that just the facts are is that there is only a place for god in our life you know like that can only be filled by god and so all these men in there it's like of course on the surface level it's you know it's sexual attraction it's entertainment it's just for fun and like you can make it as surface as you want but you know i think especially as followers of jesus we're called to peel back the layers and have spiritual eyes on those things and um so we and we also believe that all the world is God's. Like just because um, they're in a dark room and the music's really, really loud and it's really distracting, we believe that the spirit in us is stronger than that. And so we pray in the spirit over every person there, and we actually believe that God is going to alter the reality of those places um, because we know He's called us there. And it was interesting the last time that we went into, um, or not the last time, maybe the second to last time, one of the clubs we went into. It was our last visit at that club, though. And, um, it was just interesting because when we first walked in the door girl who we became kind of like homies with, um, we're like, Oh, it's good. You know, I I won't say her name, but I was like, Hey, what's going on girl? And she's like, yo, I don't even know if you guys want to be here tonight. Like, we don't know what's going on, but none of the strippers are showing up anymore. Like, is it cause you guys are praying? And it's like, (laughs) and I was kind of like, and at first I was like, Oh no, like, okay. You know, maybe we'll just drop the bags off and whatever. And then we would get in the car later and we're like, are you kidding me? Like, and Yes. Yeah. God is showing up here. Yes, yeah. he's actually subverting the like the mini economy system that's happening in that particular club because we actually believe that God wants more for those women than to have to take their clothes off. And yes, they're doing it for all sorts of reasons, but because we understand the high value that God places on his girls, on his daughters, we just we we just believe him that there's more and we have an abundance attitude and an abundance um, view of the spiritual realm of this, where he doesn't want those girls to be living in scarcity, like that he wants more for them. So we're praying that for them. Right. If that makes sense. So, so you're yeah. like, where you're like, well, that was cool. Yeah. And so, you know, that's one of those things, like, we kind of have to release that. Like, we don't know for sure the reasons for right. that, but it's also like, but we also believe in the power of prayer and we've seen it work. So it's like, man, I'm not going to underestimate that. And I know that's my Jesus. My Jesus can do that. So, yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So yeah. then that's just one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so, but like, are you, have you, will you release like all, like, will you release like, you have five, mm-hmm. but you know all of them. So you're yeah. working on all of them, but you've only yeah. released five? Is that what? Yeah. So we've only launched five of them. So we're actively working and doing five oh. of them right now. Okay. Um, was, the rest of them will require a whole different level kind of a financing and um, a lot more infrastructure. Um, some are much more complex than the ones that are in operation right now. So okay. yeah. So like the next one, for example, um, is the Pearl Worthy and Wise project. And that is specifically a project that's geared towards um, serving and supporting women who have been sex trafficked or who have been um, in any sort of prostitution ring, any sort of just sexual abuse environment or any sex industry environment at all, period. So Mm -hmm. sex workers, period. Um, In Clackamas County, we've been able to team up with this um, safe house and uh, it's called Safety Compass. 
and what we're developing is this relationship with them where we essentially bring them these love care packages for the girls that have just been rescued out of any prostitution rings or sex trafficking it just kind of depends what what funnel they come there from but any of the girls that are there it's it's like a it's a safety house for them so we we approach that project differently in that they don't necessarily need jewelry per se but like some of those girls just need like toiletries and they need basics um like for example a recent bus that happened in Clackamas County the there was 20 girls ages average ages between 8 and 15 years old so those girls just need very different things you know like they're sometimes they that's the first time they've ever um been free so like they just you know they just have different needs than the strippers do per se you know Mm -hmm. i don't want to oversimplify that but just in general they have different needs right um so one of the ways that we're working towards um that project and it's i would say it's on an underdeveloped side right now where that's the only way that we're serving at safety compass but our plan is to really expand this project to quite a bit more so right now we're delivering love care packages and um, a cool thing is that the, the woman that we work with there, she had said that um, some of these girls have literally never in their life received birthday gifts or anything like that. And so we're trying to um, put together some really beautiful like birthday gift options for them to give these girls when their birthdays happen and just as the literal first gift they might have ever received in their lives. So yeah, it's just a really cool opportunity and we're just we're trying to be really good stewards of that um, that connection there at Safety Compass and just kind of trust God with how he might want to expand that. So, right. yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking in my head right now as you're saying all this like around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you put something out on that cuz like yeah. I know a lot <clears> of people <throat> that want to get give stuff or want to help and things and like do you have like a website where like how do people volunteer to help you yeah I mean that how does that happen yeah so the giving um like any financial donations can happen through our website through the pearl projects plural uh, dot org Okay. Um, and so there's a form we'll for that. We'll put all the websites out and all that stuff. So in case anyone yeah. wants to know more about all that, but yeah. Yeah. And you can specify on there if you want it to go specifically to like the Pearl Worthy and Wise project or whatever. But, um, but then if there's, any, if there's like someone who just wants to help and volunteer or anything yeah. like that, that would be just a matter of someone, um, emailing me and, or emailing the contact form on the website. Okay. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. So there's and, that. So there's some volunteer opportunities there too. Yeah. So that that's worthy and wise. So that's two. And mm-hmm. then what's another one that's yeah. going on? So then um, the Pearl Rest Retreat. Um, this retreat is sort of going to be an annual. It might end up being biannual, but um, just we'll have to see how this first one goes. But um, in early fall, we're going to be hosting a retreat in um, Bend, Oregon. And it's at this really beautiful um, ranch estate that I found that is just, just stunning, just overlooking the sisters. And um, it has... Uh, rooms for 20 women and we're essentially after this real intimate gathering and the whole purpose is to view it as a sabbath weekend um we take the teachings of jesus really seriously on sabbath and that is to essentially carve out the time and the space free from distraction and free from basically any normal obligations in order to um just basically nourish the spirit And Mm -hmm. so we're trying to give women this opportunity to come and literally just rest. I know it sounds silly, like, to have to leave home to go, like, rest. But, I mean, we're basically saying, come here and sleep in, eat nourishing (laughs) food, take a nap, receive a little bit of teaching. We'll have some worship and a little bit of teaching. But it's not one of those hyper-structured retreats. Like, we're not after another program. Actually, it's anything but that. We are trying to get away from a program. And we're after 
relationship and just being in the context of community with other women who um, just also are just needing the rest. We're trying to really meet a demand, a need that's there for women to um, to just kind of, not like escape, because that's not the right word, but more like just to carve out, get away from their phone for a whole weekend, um, just away from unplug. the normal responsibilities. Yeah, unplug, go be in nature, take a walk, like actually catch up on rest. Um, you know, let your soul catch back up to your body and just, um, yeah, just to try Make to really... space for something to come in. Yeah, yeah, that might totally. Not otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think distraction, honestly, is one of the best tools of the enemy. And so I think that this weekend is like an intentional of putting down distraction yeah. and um, to leave space for the Spirit of God to really move. Um, and yeah, to maybe show us some new things for what he has for the next season for us. So that's one of them. Yeah, and then um, the next one is the Pearl blog. Um, so I have sort of a, my background is sort of my form of study, um, just like educationally, and all that is really a sociological, political background as far as what I did study in school. And the way that I have really incorporated that into my faith is I love to study and research um, the way that our faith intersects culture. So, so the ways that our faith can really inform the way that we do our day-to-day -day lives given our cultural context and all the things that we face, right? So I write about a lot of those things, but it's it's easy. I mean, it's, it sounds more complex than it really is. It's more like, like this last week I wrote about Tinder and about like sexuality and the way that um, our culture basically deals with um, sex and the whole hookup culture that's such a phenomenon yeah, on college campuses and that. all that kind of stuff. Right, so, yeah. you know, it's not like complex. It's just, it's kind of hammering out issues like that. Well, um, stuff that people want to know. How well, it, it's stuff people know. are dealing with. Yeah. 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 So that's a real passion for me because I love the idea that we serve a God who has a robust enough vision of humanity and of um, the human story that we can take the biblical text and draw out of it these truths and apply it to our modern day lives in a really, really tangible way. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a big passion of mine. So I love to teach that stuff and I love to write that stuff. Um, so then in, ad in addition to the Pearl blog, um, let's see, hold on. One, two, three, was that four? It was four. I feel like I need to get my phone. Where are we at? <laughs> well, you have to is the Pearlcast one of the 12? Oh, yeah. The Pearlcast, yeah. Is event is going to be our eventual podcast channel. Okay. Um, Wait, so you yeah. have the world, Worth and Worthy Wise. And wise. What mm -hmm. about the um, the abused women one? The There's like a, don't you have like a, where women come that have been, there's abused, or oh, is that Worthy that and Wise? Oh, that was Worthy and Wise. That's yeah. Worthy and Wise. Yeah. Okay. It's like a program? Yeah. Well, no, it's not program. It's just like we will eventually be creating events for, and events sound silly, but like, opportunities for gathering for them to come and we're going to be walking through some really intentional trauma healing um stuff, stuff like yeah that. okay yeah so that is on the books but that's that is part of worthy and wise but it's underdeveloped yet that phase of it okay the next one is oh i forgot sorry the pearl soiree so part of the oh, heart the of this food. yeah yeah is so, that the one your friend tiffany your best is that your be yes. best friend tiffany? yes and she lives in maui, maui. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah so the soiree is really fun i can't even believe i forgot that one i'm just you know i'm just like on overload <laughs> yeah people it's like <laughs> it's nighttime lot. here it, it's summertime and light for you right now it's rainy and dark for us yes yeah so this uh the pearl soiree is really the heart behind this is it's um I, 
like in that original vision that I felt like God gave me for the Pearl Projects was to create these opportunities for women to gather together and do life together. And um, so some, some women are able to get that through church and different things, but we also believe there's huge merit to the idea of gathering around the table. Um, that is really the Jesus model. The original communion was around a meal table, you know? And so the Pearl Soiree is essentially where we gather up hostesses who are willing to host some of their girlfriends. And we, we say try to cap it at six women, um, but where once a month they have a committed day and time that their women show up together, their friends, and everyone brings kind of a side dish or whatever, and the hostess um, provides the entree. And then the Pearl Projects um, offers to the hostess a couple discussion questions that are on offer that are, you know, optional if they want to talk about it. But the point is to get people around the table together to just hash out what, what's happened in the last week, what's happened in the last month, and um, just an opportunity for them to be, you know, incorporating life with Jesus into their life with their friends and family and community and just to just hang out. I mean, frankly, in easy language, just hang out, just kick it. Because women need that, right? Like, we just oh need goodness. that, like, break out, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the cool thing about that one is my my bestie, she's um, Tiffany Hagler. She lives in Maui. Um, she is just the just top-tier chef material. And she provides these beautiful, very simple um, recipes for the entree for every month. So the Pearl Projects provides the entree and the discussion questions for the Pearl Soiree every month. So just a fun little context to gather your girls and have a reason to hang out. So so do people come to you and say, hey, I want to host one, and you invite your friends at local? Like um, how does it... They, yeah, yeah. So if I, so for if someone example, wants use, to be a host, mm-hmm. like if I wanted to be a host. Yeah. So you'd invite your girlfriends. You'd invite six of your girlfriends. And then you just, you would just contact me. I just then send you the recipe every month. On the first of the month, I mail out the recipe and the discussion questions. Oh, and I, so I do it once a month, six girls. Yeah. And it can oh. be the same six girls, you know, okay, every month. Okay, that's okay. usually how it goes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Just, so consistency too. Yeah. Consistency. Totally. I think yeah. that's, I mean, it doesn't have to be, I mean, it's like no rules, but just, you know, right. it seems to be um, better. Yeah. That yeah. Way. Yeah. So, so as I was talking, so as you were talking, I was just like, oh, 12 projects, 12 disciples. Yeah. There's a lot of 12 correlations actually. Yeah. I'm like it's 12. Really so, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 12 tribes, 12 disciples. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then there's the Pearl Book Club, and that's sort of the same concept, though, with the hostess concept, where um, if someone wants to host one of the Pearl Book Clubs, it's a really intentional gathering. So, like, I, I'm i the one who chooses all of the book titles for every month, so I send out the book title in an email to the hostesses every single month on the first of the month, and they gather their girlfriends, same thing, um, and so everyone just shows up once a month, and... Um, you know, in theory has read the book. And even if not, the discussion ends up being really, really rich. Um, the, the book titles I choose very intentionally because I'm after something with every book. I'm after a certain aspect of the character or the nature of God, um, in our pursuit of him with each book title. So like, um, for example, like I think it was um, last month, the whole all the book clubs read Loveology, which is written by Pastor um, John Mark Comer here in Portland, actually. And the whole book is just this beautiful description, essentially about relationships, the relationship between male and female. And he takes it back to origins in Genesis, like what was the original relationship, re, sorry, relationship like between male and female? What does it look like now? We know it's tarnished now. We know it's really complex. And so he starts hammering out some beautiful um, like implications for love and sex and 
like all these different contexts that it's just it's just an amazing book so the book clubs loved that so they talked out that book in their last gathering um and every month is really different so there's a different theme kind of for every month but it's not just like any book club where it's like oh like I don't know, I've been a part of a lot of book clubs before. And yeah. um, so this one I would say is really intentional with what we're after, with what we're reading. Um, I take teaching really seriously and I a lot of the teaching that I receive in my life is coming through books and um, I think it's part of like stewardship is choosing really wisely what books we're reading and what we're receiving as teaching. And so um, I'm just really careful with what I choose and intentional. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that is it. Those are the that's a, yeah. That's those a are the lot projects. to do because I mean I'm thinking like okay, you're reading the books, yeah. writing the books, mm-hmm. you're doing the once a month that, the yeah, that's a that's a lot on your plate. Yeah, you can see how like your day gets filled. Yeah, but sure. you know the interesting thing is like if you think about all those projects, all of them have people just, leading it. Yeah, I mean it's that, but also all of it is life giving for me. Like in the sense that okay, if I if I have to read one book a month and it's this book, I'm it's yeah, it's work for me, and I'm prepping for these for all these different um, Pearl Book Club groups that are gathering. But for me, I'm also receiving teaching personally, so right. I'm prepping. But it's also you'd be doing it anyway. It's also yes, it's also you know contributing to my spiritual growth. Same with the Pearl Soiree. I host my own Pearl Soiree, so it's like okay, then I get that opportunity to be in community with that select group of women every single month, and just walking you know in stride with them. So then with like the uh, the Pearl Strip, that is a service opportunity for me to go and serve these women who, just frankly, you know the the truth is that those the strippers likely won't set foot in a church so the way that I see that is let's take church to them um like let's go be the hands and feet of Jesus for them and love them in ways that they might not expect um and send them home with some things that will keep their minds thinking about Jesus and about those girls those weird girl those weird church girls that they met in you know in the club so there's that and then um like with the rest retreat to me that just feels like okay God's put that on my heart because I know that having opportunity for rest is life-giving for me so if I can create that opportunity for other women I know what that is so like and I know how valuable that is so that's a service opportunity for me too so I I think what I'm saying is like it's just so beautiful how all the different parole projects suit these different needs but for me doing that work it's all life-giving for me because it's all things that I enjoy and so he's equipped me also like with sort of the business background and with like sort of the knowledge on the how-to side of things but then in addition to that because I was so acquainted with like sexual pain and some of that trauma and like the abuse side of things and grief and death and all those things it's like that has kind of prepared me in a way to embrace these major heavy-hitting questions that we're met with when you are in a room with a sex-trafficked little girl or when you are with these strippers and it's like and it's not like I have all those experiences but I think he's developed in me a tenderness um and just eyes to see those girls differently and I'm just for that reason I'm so grateful for the equipping that he's done in my life because of a really messy past wow yeah that's just amazing that's so cool and I mean it just and to have little kids too in the mix of that and you know staying sane in that you know, it's like, it's, it's, yeah, I, I will say, you know, one thing that I feel really, really strongly about, um, in this whole thing, and I felt this from the beginning is that, you know, God gave me Brian first and then he gave me kids second and then he gave me the project. So I actually, 
um, I have to be really disciplined to keep those in their proper order because I think once I disorder those, um, I think I actually, uh, I, I think I err there. So what I'm saying is I, I take my prioritization of my husband, my relationship with him and the, my time that I'm giving to my kids, um, as top priority. So, I mean, it's that sort of thing, like, because I'm able, and I realize I'm fortunate and privileged to be able to do this work from home, but because I do it from home, um, I kind of have this rule where I do not work on these things unless my kids are actively doing something else. Like if they are napping or if they are like with their dad or if they are, you know, I don't even know, just if they're doing something else where they're, where I'm not taking from them the time that I would otherwise be giving to them. Like I just view, you know, kids view, um, love as t like they spell love T I M E like time is what they understand. Right. And so like, I try to give my kids all the time that I possibly can, but then also be a good steward of the work that he's given me to do. So that balance is hard, but I just think I'm trying to voice that I'm trying to keep first things first. And, right. um, sometimes it comes at a sacrifice. Like sometimes it's like at the end, towards the end of the month. And I know I've got to get all the hostess emails out by the first, but then my daughter is having a really hard day and I, she needs me to be in bed snuggling her and where sometimes, yeah, I, I'm going to let that go. I'm actually, I'm okay with actually being a day late or something on an email because right there I have to, I need to be the so show like for the, my daughter. The, so like the discipline of that comes easier because you're like, the more you practice it, the easier, the natural yeah. it is and you're well, just like, okay, well I'll, that can wait. Yeah. And I think it's just, I, I'm not saying it actually gets easier. I think it's just more like that is a constant, um, because I also have that tendency, like I'm an achiever and I'm a perfectionist. So I'm very drawn to performance because I like, you know, the, all okay, this. So that's where we're different. <laughs> really? That's so funny. I'm yeah. like, not. Oh, like I love that. it. I love that's it. That's so funny. I mean, I like that. Like, I wish I was a little more driven like that. Well, but, but the, the difficulty I, is like my know. tendency then is to take from time from my kids to go perform well and produce all this great stuff. But it's like, I can do those things, but I just have to also, I have to keep it in its right order. Like I can't, um, I can't sacrifice the care and the love and the quality that I'm trying to give to my kids, um, for the, for the Pearl projects. It's like, it's both, they're both holy and good things, but, um, but God gave me my kids first and my husband first. Like I don't work in the evenings. I refuse to work at nighttime because that is my only time I have with my husband because he's gone off to work at 4am. Like we are in bed at 830, like no compromise. Like, I mean, like we're not like rigid, but I'm just saying like, I don't work that time of night. Like right. we do all sorts of other things, but like, like with friends and whatever, but, um, but I won't ever work at nighttime. And so I hammer out my stuff early, early in the morning. I wake up really, really, how, really how, early. How early do you wake up? <laughs> yeah. Usually it's 445 to five. Um, but that's just in order to get some quiet time before my kids wake up at 530. And then, um, yeah. And then when they nap, I, they still nap right now, you know, so I know when they stop napping, it'll be, it'll be, I'll have to find other time to work, but I work when they nap. I work when they're asleep in the morning. Um, yeah. And just here and there when they're at a babysitter or whatever, but yeah, yeah it, just, it just flows and flows and goes yeah, so far. And I know it'll only get more complex. Like the projects will only get more complex and I'll have to, you know, renegotiate and navigate things differently then. But for now, I just feel like my job is to honor the gifts and the gifts, um, in their proper order. So that's, yeah, what I'm really aiming at. So. Yeah, yeah. I could say that I'm aiming towards that too. Yeah. It's hard. It's super hard. There's, that's definitely not easy. And yeah. it's very different even, you know, it's like, 
it's very different for like working moms or moms that work outside of the home. I just really empathize with the juggling that that is because it's even hard for me and I'm home with them working from home. So I can imagine it's even a whole different thing, you know, if you're gone all day and then you're trying to juggle balancing your time between your husband and the kids. And I don't think there's a right or wrong. I don't think there's any like, you know, best practices or something, but I just know that for me with you know, my unique situation, this is what I've had to come up with that works for, for me. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I just, I'm just so like, wow, it's amazing. All of that is such, so amazing. And, and word, the words that keep coming, life-giving, life-giving, mm. life-giving, life-giving, that's, yeah. it always mm. comes back to you, you know, yeah. like giving yeah. is a receiving, giving and then yeah. receiving and you just, it's, you know, flow. I mean, it sounds like you have a, um, a, a good solid foundation for not burnout. Yeah. Well, I've done that. You know, I think, I think part of it is I've done a lot of work that is not life giving. And I've done a lot of work that, um, for a lot of years in jobs that I didn't like and, um, that were not life giving that were actually life zapping. And yeah, it's like, I think what I've really kind of come to here in the last few years, and I'm sure this will ebb and flow and kind of evolve even as I get older but I just learned the value of discipline about my time and about um my rhythms because I know that um you know discipline seems like work in the time but it actually you know like by disciplining myself in the mornings to get up early I actually come at the day with such a different um like aptitude for a different different level of engagement with my kids because I've I've spent my time with the spirit Mm -hmm. I mean I'm with the spirit all day but I just I'm just saying like I engage yep the heart and the mind, my whole person, first thing in the morning, I'm giving God my first fruits, to use biblical language, the first that I have in the day. Um, and I just basically invite him into the details. I ask him to be home with us with the kids. I ask him to fill my kids. Um, I ask for like every conversation that's going to happen, all my relationships, that he just be a part of it, that our time would be honoring of him. And then I just go about it. And it's not like every day's perfect. Like, yo, I've got toddlers. It's crazy, right? Like, yeah. there's nothing peachy about all that. It's really, really excellent. And it's really, really hard and really fun and then really devastating sometimes. And so it's not like I'm exempt from all those things. It's just that I think when I start the day in the in Word and in prayer, I engage the conflict differently. And um, again, not that it's perfect at all or like flawless, but um, I just notice the difference. Like I have so done days easier. where I slack off and I want to just sleep in because that feels worth it to me at the time. But then I realize I'm groggy through the day. I end up treating my kids differently and treating my husband differently. And I'm not trying to make excuses, but I just recognize the power of what it is to be in the word of God every day and right. the real effect that it has over time, you know? I agree. So, like I, I feel like I've, kind of made that switch too. like for me it was getting up early after um, Tobin went to kindergarten so that was in September and I started getting up about five Mm -hmm. even on the weekends holy moly yeah because it's hard on your routine too yeah Yeah, and he well and he Tobin has always been an early bird so it's always Mm -hmm. me and him kind of in the mornings Um, but Brian actually used to be an early bird and then I was the sleeper in her and then now it's like totally flip-flops really I am 1000% early bird Um, but with that, I, someone said it perfectly too, of just like the days that they're not, they don't have that intention Mm, in the morning. Yes. Yeah. It's like the day almost controls you. Totally. Well, you're just at, you know, you're at its mercy. You're at its, that's exactly what you're at its mercy. Mm -hmm. It's 
about being intentional, you know, and those things. And yeah, I totally, yeah. it's like, because your list is going to always be there waiting oh, for you. Oh, that's right. You. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like, other... are you going to let the list control you or are you going to control the list? Yeah. Yeah. And the things, what I've also found is like the things that feel really hard in the beginning, it's just like going to the gym, right? Like when you very first start going back to the gym, like we get that analogy, right? That of course our, our bodies take some time to adapt into what we're forcing them to do because we're after this <laughs> yeah, eventual outcome, right? Right, right. But like, it's the same thing in the spiritual life. It's like, man, like time always produces fruit in the kingdom of God. Like the time that we invest in the word, the time that we invest in prayer, that always produces fruit. So the way that I see it is like, yes, it's hard to get up in the morning. Yes, it's hard to follow Jesus, frankly, like in the, especially in the late modern West in a Portland, like, oh, it is hard to follow Jesus here. But on the flip side, it's infinitely harder not to, you know, it's yeah. like, I've done life without Jesus. Like I know what yeah. that is. I, you know, and so it's like, I, I'm able to hold both of those and go, I know, yeah, they're both hard. That one's way harder without God on my side. So like, to me, the disciplines always prove worth it. Um, and so they've actually become addictive over time. Cause it's like, I just know that God shows up in that stuff in the tiny places, in the ordinary, like our God is the God of the ordinary. So I think as I've just come to know him better and just to really understand his characteristics. It's like, man, he is with me when I'm literally like changing diapers. He is with me when I'm cleaning the toilets in my house. Like he is, I mean, it's like, it might sound corny, but like, no way, dude. Like our God is everywhere and he's in everything. And so much of that is just the awareness of him. And I think that changes everything. It, like Exactly. It the does. awareness. Yeah. Because he's, because technically he is always there. He's always there. Yeah. So whether we are saying, I, I'm going to choose to see you in all these areas because yeah. he's already there yeah. anyway. Yeah. Or, you know, and it makes life yeah. a little easier. Man, just like even in these last few weeks, I've had these two really oddball anomaly occasions where I've just been home and I just felt knocked off my feet. Like one of them was an instance of, um, you know, I kind of felt like I escaped when I moved to Portland from some stuff, right? And recently something has kind of reemerged from my past up here in some relationships that kind of felt messy. And I just felt knocked off my feet and I just felt like, man, God, I thought I had dealt with that. Why am, why are all these feelings reoccurring for me? Like, why do I feel all this again? And I just had this really beautiful, really hard day at home with him where it was like, I feel like I was mourning my past again in Uh a way, but it was so intimate with him. Like I just had, like I had my, and I just swear by keeping worship music on in my house, like I'm at the point, I'm like, I can appreciate all music. I've been all over that. I still appreciate all that music, anything. But I just feel like what the power of full-blown anointed, like like spirit blazing music in my house, like there is heat over that. And it changes the atmosphere of my house. So like I always have music going in my house. And I just felt like while I was kind of like having to hash out my past a little bit that day last week, I just felt like it wasn't like the old me dealing with all those emotions. It was like, yeah, those emotions are still there. They're still real. They're still a part of me, right? And it's okay. But God was just so different with me in them because he's dealt with them. Like I've surrendered that past to him. He was in it with me. So it's like, I felt like I could worship him in the pain differently. And it was like so beautiful. And then like I had another instance like that recently where, 
there's just like some really intense, deep, deep, like relational complexity happening in my family where there's just some like seriously intense, just brokenness. And I just found myself for like a 24 hour period, just like weeping over them because of just the way that it's, it's spreading into all sorts of other ways, things in my family. And I was just weeping, but like, I just felt like, and same thing, I felt like I was just worshiping him in my, like in my tears where it's just like, I know you see this. I know you're in it. And I'm just like going to call out and just trust and prophesy your promises before I even see the end of this because I know you're that good because now I'm on the other end of so much other pain. I just know you are actually trustworthy. You are actually good for your word. And not that you'll make everything peachy, like no prosperity gospel. Like you're not going to alter all situations and all circumstances, but you're going to change me in them and because of them, you know, and that is where the fruit's at. And so I think anymore, even when like, I mean, there's been so many deaths even in my family in the the last few years. And even in those things, I find myself able to worship him in those storms because I just see him differently because I actually trust him now. You know, like in ways that I couldn't before it was tested. I feel like he, he put me through the ringer, or I guess he, that's maybe not the right way to right, say it. Right, like he let, like we went through the fire together. Yeah. I've never been in a fire alone without him, and he showed up now. You know, like so I know he's good for it. So, wow, that's yeah. interesting. Way to, that's awesome. Yeah. That's well, you know really the Shadrach, cool. Meshach, and Abednego story. It's like just that they they weren't in that fire alone, and that's just kind of how I started seeing these things. Is like, man that imagery is powerful, like where you feel just pressed, like whatever, you know, who, whoever's listening, it's like, you know, your own circumstance right now, you know, the stuff you're going through when you feel pressed against a wall, the relational complexity that's just bearing this really intense weight on your life and whatever's anxiety causing in your life or whatever's depression causing in your life, like just that whole, like just to hold that tender place of like, I'm in the fire right now. I feel the heat in all of its full measure and yet you are here with me and you are not going to burn me. Like you will not allow me to be burned because you're in it with me. Like it doesn't mean that you're not going to feel pain. You're not going to be exposed to pain. It doesn't mean that you're not going to grieve what is grieve worthy, but he's going to be in it with you. Yeah. And it's like, they always say that about a good coach, right? A good coach will tell you to run six miles, but run it with you. Like that's our God. Like he's going to call it always the best out of you he's going to call out the deep in you he's going to call you to the hardest things you'll ever do in your life right but he'll do it with you he's going to run it with you like that's a good coach that's a good father I like that guy yeah that dude that dude's my dude (laughs) yeah totally I dig him yeah I totally dig him that's right oh my goodness wow yeah that's a lot to that's a lot to think about you know Mm -hmm. I mean touched on a lot of a lot of good stuff yeah lots of good stuff here with Jenna Lots of good stuff. Yeah. Well, geez, I think I'm about, what time we're, is it? We're, think... we're spiritually exhausted in the best of ways. So now we're ready for bed. Both of our days started at like yeah. 5 a.m. We're um, at the bookend now. Yeah, we're at the bookend. And my goodness, um, thank you so much for coming to speak on this topic of life mm-hmm. and yeah, sharing you your heart me. and just, I mean, Wow. Mm. So thank you. And oh, thank um, you. I look yeah. forward to seeing you and totally. seeing you keep running into you. Yeah. Places and... Yeah. And thanks, you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hearing my heart out. And just it was a total pleasure. Yeah. yeah. And we we will post the all the websites. And I know that, like, yeah, I was going to say this, too, that, you know, these 
you know, I'm kind of approaching the ages of my kids where they can become more aware of their surroundings. And I feel like a lot of parents want their kids to be involved in real things, you Mm -hmm. know, and going to the soup kitchen downtown Portland is good for some, Mm -hmm. not for everybody. Mm -hmm. So there's, we're always looking for places to volunteer and all that kind of stuff and just make note of that kind of stuff. So anyway, we will be putting the websites there, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, like making care packages, what you were saying. Yeah, totally. Um, You know, those are always, you know, whatever. So anyway, anyway, so thanks for, thanks for coming on this topic of life. Yes, thank you. You've been listening to This Topical Life with Tiffany Murphy. Available through Podbean, iTunes, and Google Play. Look for us on Instagram and Facebook. Donations to help support This Topical Life can be made through Patreon at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Front slash This Topical Life. Likes and comments are always appreciated. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time for more real conversation, real exploration, real life stories. Because life ain't a vacation.